welcome you all to God's presence. If you are worshiping with us for the first time or you are online also, I want to say very big welcome to you. We will welcome you in a special way very soon. And I want to thank God for your lives, for making it possible for us. We do not understand how far our reach is until maybe I show you some of the messages we get online, especially through Facebook. It is very interesting to see that God is using these very simple ways and simple means to reach people all around the world. And I want to say, may God continue to bless everyone, and may God continue to help us even as we journey through this life in Jesus' name. Um, we have been on a series on releasing the power for restful increase for about four weeks. This is the fifth week. And God has been speaking to us diversely. We have been using this banner that um, will be shown to you very shortly. And um, you can see that we have covered, can I have the banner? We have covered five topics. Thank you. We have covered four topics. The joy of the Lord, the peace of God, patience, gentleness. And today we are looking at godly perspectives. God gave me the idea of these banners in the year 2015. I was in a country, I think it was Finland. It was either Finland or Sweden. I went there to do some to present some papers at a conference. And uh, one morning I just woke up and the, the Holy Spirit woke me up and he said, represent all your messages pictorially. And from that Sunday, I can't remember, I think the second or third Sunday of the, of the year, since that Sunday till date, we have always had a banner, physical picture that represents our messages, either in a series or on an individual basis. And uh, I want to thank God for that insight. I never saw it anywhere. I see people from time to time do posters for programs, but not a consistent Sunday-to-Sunday -Sunday depiction. And this is, the, this is what I always say about God. You just need to open up, and he shows you something that you may not have seen before. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you are, he just wants to deal with you that way. This picture, God, when, when I was thinking about the picture to, to depict this series... At times it gives me a picture, at times it's just, you know, a random object and, you know, that's it. But this picture particularly, when I found it, I said, this shows me something of a journey, a travel. Somebody on a road going somewhere, and you can see the curve. You can see that, you know, there are mountains ahead. It's like a bit of an unknown. But at the same time, they, they, there is a, a vehicle that you are in called the vehicle of faith. And as you travel on that road, you need a lot of things to keep your faith going and to keep you on that journey actively. So we began to see things like the joy of the Lord. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is our strength. So that strengthens us to keep going. We saw that the peace of God rules and reigns in our heart, and that keeps us going. We saw that patience is what we need because it is by patience that we will possess our souls. And then last week, we saw the force of gentleness. And God showed me that each of these things are like forces, forces that can keep you moving in the direction of destiny and rest in God. And uh, we saw the force of gentleness. The Bible says the meek will inherit the earth. And I explained that verse to you last Sunday. I said, it's not about inheriting the earth when everybody else has left, whatever that concept meant. But inherit the earth means that you will be able to command the Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 mandate to have dominion, to multiply, to be fruitful. So when God says you will inherit the earth by meekness, he will give you the wisdom to be able to, in your own way, demonstrate your dominion mandate. And so you will have wisdom, you will have insight, you will have favors. There are many things that you need outside you in life to make it. 
there are many forces that must work for you, for God to be able to use you to do the things that he desires to do in your life. You and I must do the things that God has said we ought to do to command those forces to respond to us. There is no human being that can just draw favor. You can try. You, there are things you can do that can aid it, but only God can give you favor. The Bible says you will encompass the righteous with favor as with a shield. Only God can grant favor. That's why when Jesus came, he gave him favor. Favor with himself as God the Father and favor with man so that Jesus could exercise his own duty here on earth as the son of man. So you and I need to understand. So if gentleness is one of the things that God said, if we have and we manifest, we get favor and we get the ability to inherit the earth, then it helps us even in our journey to rest. And may God continue to help us. And as I said over and over, this is a rest that is both eternal and it's a rest that is also earthly. A rest that God gives us to be living in rest, even while we're here on earth. So that the labor, the Bible says it is the labor of the foolish that wearies every one of them. For they don't know how to go into the city. But for those of us who know the Lord, when we labor, we labor into rest. And so our lives must speak differently. So I want to encourage you in those things. So we come to the fifth session that is called Godly Perspectives. The force of Godly Perspectives. This is a, a two-word phrase that I uh, coined up when God was laying on my heart on this particular thing, and I'll explain what it means shortly. This means that we are seeing the way God sees and thinking the way God thinks. Godly perspectives mean that we are developing the capacity to see the way God sees and to think the way God thinks. This is very important. The previous four sessions that we have looked at, the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the gentleness, the patience, and all those things, are good attributes, but until we know how to see the way God sees and think the way God thinks, it becomes, there are times that we may find frustration. We may lose our peace. If we are not thinking the way God is thinking in certain situations, we may lose our peace. If we are not thinking the way God is thinking or seeing the way God is seeing in certain situations, our joy may be disturbed. So this is so important. It helps us to live the life in everything we have been studying so far about going to restful increase. Isaiah chapter 55, I want to start from there. Uh, you know, because the Bible says, God, we understand that life is a race. You know, before we read Isaiah 55, we understand that life is a race. First Corinthians 9, 27, he said, know you not that we all run in a race. So as we are running that race, we must understand that we need to continue to discipline ourselves and to continue to put our body in subjection. Thank you. To put our body in subjection, to discipline it, to keep it focused so that we can continue. What that means is that at times our body will want to do things in a certain way, but the, 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 the voice of the Holy Spirit will tell us, the Holy Spirit will tell us, that's not the way I want for you. And then we have to change course. That is part of discipline. And so Isaiah 55 reminds us that our, our, his thoughts are not our thoughts. Let's read that together. It said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Verse 9. It said, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Somebody say, God is in a class. Say with me, God is in a class all by himself. So it takes 
us knowing what God is thinking. He said, go back to verse 8. He said, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. The way you see things is not how he sees things. You need to ponder on this. He said, your ways, your way of doing things, the way you think things have to be done and have to be achieved is not necessarily the way that I think. And I, need, I think that this is one of the biggest virtues that if a believer can dis- discover and develop, you have a work that is more efficient. You have less frustration, if at all any. When you are quick to connect to the way of God, the thinking of God, you are quick to see, you find that what would have easily frustrated you and make you give up, like it affects so many people today, believer and unbeliever, will not affect you. Because somehow you are seeing something that normal human beings don't see. He said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. So it is important that we know his thoughts towards us. One of the scriptures he has used to assure us of his scripture is Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. Let's read it together. Say, for thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon. Somebody say, after. after. Completion, Completion of 70 years. So now, if somebody is praying at year 50 and he was in Babylon, it's a, waste, it's a time waster. If somebody is frustrated at year 55 or year 60, he's just wasting his time. He's wasting his time. You know the people who are in Babylon? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Daniel discovered it in books one day. Daniel 9.2. He said, ah, this thing is supposed to be 70 years. Now it is 70 years. It's time for it to happen. And then they began to pray. He began to fast. If he was doing that at year 10, he was wasting his time. If he was born then. We need to understand. Now, does that mean that God leaves us in a rut? No. He is saying that if certain things have to take five years, you have to wait for it to take five years. If certain things have to take ten years, you know something? You frustrate yourself if you are worried at year eight. But how many people have gone off in year two, year five, year ten? You say, what is this nonsense? I, I get away, man. <laughs> and God says, it's ten years. It's ten years. Go and study the autobiography of men that have made great impacts in life. Not all the time. You have people like MLK, Martin Luther King Jr., who by 39, they have shaken the whole world and they left so quickly. We have people like that, and they're very rare. They come, Jesus Christ, 33 years, pyam, the whole world, and then they go. But go and check those who have been on this thing for 80 years, 90 years, still making impact. Some of them will tell you the first 40 years, they were, they were a complete total write-off. At 26... One of my big mentors that I talk about, the Australian businessman, uh, Peter J. Daniels. At 26, he could hardly read or write. (laughs) He's about 88 years old now. At 26, he could hardly read and write. And today, he's one of the richest Christian businessmen that have ever lived in our times. Peter J. Daniels, he's an Australian man, he's still alive. At 26, he could hardly read. He was an illiterate, complete one. His family were all people who used to go to jail. So he, they were just waiting for his own time to come to go to jail as well. <laughs> but one day, he attended Billy Graham crusade in Adelaide in Australia. Just one day. And the man said, God loves you just as you are. And as you yield your life to him, he can give you a new lease of life. 
He said, I want to know that God. If he can change me from this family I came from. <laughs> and the rest is history. His story, is still, he still talks about his story, he's still alive, as I said. Because there is something about God's way. There is something that we need to understand. In his own time, somebody say, in his own time, he makes all things beautiful. The Bible says there is a time for everything. There is a time for everything. But God knows how he makes all things beautiful in its time. And one of the virtues we need to develop in order to be able to wait for God and wait for his time is to have the right perspectives. Amen. We need to know how to have the right perspectives. So it is important that we know what he's saying to us per time. Thank you very much. Everything that God speaks to us, thank you, God bless you, son. Everything God speaks to us or promises us requires us to have these appropriate perspectives. I'm saying this very, very carefully because I know that there is a balance to it. We are Christians, we are faith people. We, we, don't, we, we know that now faith is. We know how to possess our possession. We know how to make sure we wrestle from the devil, whatever he's trying to steal from us. So I'm, I know all that. Okay, before you say, but pastors, there are some things the devil, I know that. I know that. And I know we talk about that so much more many times that even when the devil is not holding it, we say he's the one. So we are binding him. And there he say, I did not touch this thing. Go to your God who said he should wait. <laughs> but we don't understand that. We, we think it's always the devil. That's why I say we need godly perspective. When it is the devil, if you are a person that... The Bible says, how can two work together except they be agreed? If you are in agreement with God, he will show you when it's the devil. You will know when. Instead of just jumping up and binding the devil every time. But if he's the one telling you to wait, don't bind any devil. It's a waste of time binding the devil because he's not held by him and he can do nothing about it. <laughs> so we need that. We read... For those of you who are watching online or those who joined the service later on, we read from Jeremiah chapter 1, from verse 1 to verse 12. I'm just going to pick a few verses in our Bible reading. Pastor Lola led us earlier on today. We read from Jeremiah chapter 1, from verse 5, to, or from verse 1 to verse 12. But I'm going to pick a few verses there now, particularly verse 5. God spoke to Jeremiah. You know, when I was a young preacher, I used to not like preachers who drink on the pulpit. But when I got older, I know why they drink. <laughs> Before I used to say, what's wrong with these preachers? You want to talk for one hour, you are drinking water. When I turned 45, I started to understand a bit. <laughs> so don't, one day if I come with bucket, don't buy <laughs> it. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's just for you to laugh a bit. Okay. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jeremiah was a prophet God called from, from his youth. Not as a child like Samuel, but he was, people estimate he was between 17 and 20 years old. And Jeremiah had, his, had the hand of God upon him at a time when God needed somebody who would speak truth to his children about their idolatrous ways and their being far from him. When he called Jeremiah, he went to him, and verse 5, we read verse 1 to 12, like I said, you can read that again, but I just want to start from verse 5 and pick a few verses. God said to him, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. 
I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Now, look at that very well. Before you were born, I knew. Before you were born, I sanctified. I separated you. He's not been born yet. We say sanctification is a separation unto God, isn't it? You expect that sanctification can only take place after a person has been born. But God said, before you were born, I sanctified you. I already separated you. He said, and then I ordained you. Things that you could only do to somebody who is physically alive. Very deep. And that tells me that Jeremiah is not in a class all by himself. Everyone called of God, if you read your Bible very well in Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, them whom he foreknew. Are you one of them? Are you one of them? You are not sure? I am. Maybe that will help you. Are you one of them? Okay. (laughs) Because at times when believers keep quiet, that means they are not sure. (laughs) Okay. He said, them whom he foreknew, them he also called. And them whom he called, them whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He also predestined. And them whom he predestined, he now called. And then whom he called, he justified. And then whom he justified, he glorified. That's Romans chapter 8 from verse 29 to verse 30. But Jeremiah was told the same thing even before Paul came and gave that revelation to the Romans and for us today. And in verse 9, he said, then the Lord put forth his hand. Before, between that time, Jeremiah said, I'm what a youth. I don't know what I'm going to say. How am I going to face these people? Then God told him, you know, don't be afraid of their faces. I will put my word in your mouth. And that, what I command you to speak, that you will speak, and so on. That's between verse 7, verse 6, and verse 8. But in verse 9, he said, then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I have Put my words in your mouth. When he said, I ordained you a prophet to the nations, it is an office. It is an assignment. But the delivery is based on what God put there. He said, I have put my words in your mouth. And this is where we need to understand that whatever God wants to do in our lives, we need to understand he has equipped you for what he's calling you to do. Every time he inspires you in the way of ministry, of business, of some idea that will advance you or make you create some kind of impact, whether momentary or generational, God has already put everything that you need for that thing to succeed inside you. It is the devil's device not to make us see it and to think. Like Jeremiah, like most people will say, but I don't have this. I don't know. He has put it there already. It's like, a, it's like a son that you have or a child that you have and they're, they're going off to a, to a trip or they're going to school and you say to them that, you know, I have put all the money that you need in your account. Now, they need faith to just carry on before checking their account. They need faith to carry on and knowing fully well that when they get there, they will find that when they do check their account, the money is there. It's the same thing. There, it, is, it has already been deposited in you. He said, I have put my words in your mouth. He says, see, I have. See. Somebody says, see. And this now brings me to our emphasis for today. God said, see, because there is something God has seen and he wants Jeremiah to see. The same way today, he's saying you should see what he's seeing. As long as you are seeing what only you can see and not what God is seeing, even if God put all the resources and the treasures of this earth inside you, you can never take the steps that God wants you to take. So you need to learn how to see. He says, see it. I have set this day 
I've set you set this day you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull out, to pull down, to destroy and to throw down and to build and to plant. Verse 11. He said, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. He said, What do you see? Now tell me, what do you see? I say, see it, but now I want to know what you see. When Jesus came and he said to the disciples, he said, who do men say I am? They said, oh, some say you are Elijah. Some say you are this prophet and that one. He said, but who do you say I am? Because you see, it always happens by the agreement of what you can see. It, God cannot do what he wants to do in your life unless you are seeing what he can see. He said, but who do you say I am? You've told me what everybody else thinks. Now, Jeremiah, he said, what do you see? And Jeremiah said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And immediately the Lord said to him, me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my words. Hallelujah. Very important. I won't go into too much of the theology of the almond tree, but just a couple of things that we, we are told. The almond is one of the is the is the tree, one of the trees that buds the quickest. It's actually the one that buds the first in the springtime in the land of Israel. And every time people wait in spring to, to the almond gives the sign that the spring is here. Because when it buds, all the other trees, after that, they start to bud. So when Jeremiah said, I see it, God said, You have seen well. The other meaning of, of, of the almond tree from the Hebrew trans, translations also is it means watchfulness. It means the ability to observe. Watchfulness. So God said, you have seen well because you can see watchfulness. You can see bringing forth. You can see watchfulness. You can see bringing forth. And God said, you have seen well, for I am now ready to perform my words. So we must see ourselves as God sees us all the time. Not more, not less. Sadly, believers struggle to see themselves as God sees them in this day and age. Either people overrate themselves, that one is very common with this generation, or like we saw in the case of Jeremiah, and like we will see in the case of another person in scripture, people underrate themselves. That one too is a bit common. People always feel inadequate. And we need to understand that there is a way God sees us. God cannot say to you to do something that he knows you cannot do. That makes him a liar. I've always told you, when God said, be fruitful, multiply, that means it makes, he has commanded fruitfulness. When he said you will have dominion, that means that you will have dominion. Because he has put everything inside you to make it happen. There was a king called Nebuchadnezzar. We know his story very well. He saw himself at a point very, very humbled by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's story in Daniel chapter 3. And the Bible says that when they came out of the fairy furnace, he said, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego has delivered them. And he began to say to the people, you must worship him. You must reverence him. In fact, is there anybody that does not worship the God of these people? They should cut him to pieces. <laughs> Go and read it in Daniel 3 from verse 28 there about, 26 there about to verse 30. Say they should cut him to pieces. And he began to show sign as somebody who was now having the reverence and the fear of God. But a time came. Somebody say a time came. 
he began to see himself more than he ought to have seen himself. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he said, do not, do not at any time see yourself more than the Lord sees you, more than God sees you. But look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. This was when he began to miss it. He looked out of his chambers one day. Babylon was heavily built. I imagine it like a place with a lot of new buildings, high rise, like we would have in places like Dubai today. Very brand new buildings, high rise, everything looking flourishing and looking good. You know, when you get to such cities, you are, you are in awe at what people can do with, with buildings. It's beautiful, beautiful. We don't have many of such in this country. But when you go to cities like New York, you go to cities like uh, Miami, uh, a lot of cities in America, and then you have cities like, uh, like, like I said, Dubai, Singapore, beautiful, beautifully built. So I just imagine those kind of scenarios around this man called Nebuchadnezzar. And in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30, he began to say, read it with me, is this great... Is, is not this great, read it with me, let's, let's read together from the top. The king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? Everything he said was correct until he started to say by my mighty power. Yes, it is a great Babylon. It was built. The moment he put the I have built my mighty power, he lost it with God. Look at what God said to him to make me explain what I'm saying. The Bible says, while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. It's even interesting when God looks at a person and says king again. <laughs> but that is it for you. <laughs> it doesn't matter. He wants to turn him into an animal, but he still called him king. To remind him that, yes, you are king but because I am the one that made you king. He said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, that's seven years, until you know that the most high rule, somebody say, until he knows, that the most high rules, in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. This is one of the biggest fallacies of humanity. A man gets to a position like Nebuchadnezzar and forgets and he thinks that it is his skill, it is his qualification, it is his wittiness, it is his ability. When they interview people on TV and they say, how did you make it? You can place where they are at. Say, you know, we built this thing from scratch. We, we, we are self-made people in this organization. We work hard and we've got, we've got the right people in the right places and we use all the strategies and all the B2Bs. <laughs> and they begin to talk nonsense. And the mercy of God at times will just be listening to all that. It's the same thing. And let's not go too far. You see, where you are today is where you must be deciding that, Lord, I know you have great plans for me because you said you know the thoughts that you think towards me. They are of good and not of evil to give me a future and a hope. But from today, you must start praying that, Lord, as I go higher, help me to keep remembering you. 
as I go higher, help me to keep remembering you. It is so easy to forget. And you don't have to get to the level of Nebuchadnezzar by, by saying, see my hand. That's what happened. That's why he had to go on his hand. He raised his hand and said, this is my hand. He gave me this. Because he that your hand, you will use it in the bush for seven years. <laughs> he crawled on his hands for seven years. But you know something? Every one of us need to check this in our lives. It can be very subtle. I remember I went to Nigeria. I came to this country in 2000. But in the year 2004, 2005, 2000 and late 2003, then 2004, and most of 2005, I was representing the University of Wolverhampton in West Africa a lot, a lot. We go to Ghana, Cameroon, Nigeria, we come back. After three months, we go again. Because that was the time there was a big push for international students' recruitment by British universities. So there were a lot of fairs. And they selected some of us who came from those backgrounds to be representing the university. Of course, I was getting free ticket to go home every time. But it was a lot of travel. And my kids were very young, so it was very difficult at times. But to put all that to one side, one day we were in the Abuja High Commission. Every time we came in, we were the British delegate, you know. Even though I just left Nigeria at that time, about five years. But we were treated as the British delegate and we were ushered straight to the British High Commissioner's office. And every evening, I remember in Abuja, the first day we land in Abuja, he hosts us into his garden. So one day I was in that garden eating my barbecue. And I looked back at the visa office I used to go, just six years before that time. I look back how I used to queue, and army people would be saying, queue here, stay there. And driving us about like, like animals. I look back at that office, I say, God, only you can take a person from six years, from being treated like that, just outside this same building, to be hosted by the British High Commissioner in his garden. And I said, Lord, to you alone be the glory. To you, I have not yet even become a British citizen then. I was still on a work visa. I said, to you alone be the glory. But you know, it could be easy for me to just be eating the, 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 the barbecue like a madman, forgetting that, you know, you have a privilege to be here today. This is not how you were born. All the people who I came with, they were born in this country, different skin color. They were born in this country. All the people that were there. I was the only person who was Nigerian who came from that background and was now treated like that. What am I trying to say? Take stock every time. Take stock every time. So before you say, ah, I have not built one house yet, so I cannot get to uh, like Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. My life cannot become... No, 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 no. It can easily become like that. Think about your life. Where you, are you where you are now? Think very well. Is this where you were five years ago? Ten years ago? So you must keep giving God glory because where you will come next... It's going to be big. I say it's going to be big. When I say, oh, God is doing something in the church and God has shown me so many things about what he'll be doing, in your life, some of you, some of you are heading teams today or five people, ten people, and they are still making you, you are chasing them. Where is this one? Where is that report? And I know those things because I'm in the various groups, as many as I can join. I think I'm only, it's only the women group I've not been allowed to join. So I, and I, <laughs> I join every other group. Not to interfere, but just in case there is any need for me to, 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 to balance anything or they need my help so I can quickly get the information. Otherwise, I try not to participate in the group affairs as much as possible. I'm sure most of you there will testify. So I'm aware of those things. But you know something? Some of those groups may be five people today, ten people, whatever. But you know something? A time will come that those groups will be 50. I said there will be 50. 
there will be 60. Those of you that are leading those groups cannot just be regarded in the same way you are now. You will have much more influence because a lot of things will be happening. A lot of things will be happening and you will be the people taking those decisions. Even before those who are sort of in other pastoral roles are involved, at that point, can you still see yourself as the brother and sister that you are today? Or will you become a Nebuchadnezzar at that point? Somebody say, God forbid. This is how we assess our lives, to keep seeing ourselves. Any opportunity God has given you, he has given you by his mighty hand. Any qualification you have, any gift you have. People in the body of Christ who have gifts are using their gifts to torment the body of Christ. You have a gift to teach. You have a gift to preach. And so people must pay to bring you to their, to their stage because you command crowd. And you'll be dictating the, the, what they should pay you. And I'm not saying preachers should not be paid. But when it comes to the fact that it's now so commercialized, it is, it is an eyesore. He will say, if you don't put first class ticket, put this one, put that one, we, we cannot come. We cannot come. That is not in any way representing Christ. That is a gift God has given you. If God gives you a gift to pull crowd, it is for his name's sake. So you must use it for his name's sake. Hallelujah. God gives you a gift, especially singers. Oh, singers, musicians. I want to thank God for the people that play in this place. Let's give, our, let's give the Lord a big hand. A big, a big, big hand. That was not style to drink water. I want you to appreciate them. <laughs> I've been preaching for many years, so some of those tricks pastors do, that was not a style. <laughs> But the reality is this. We must appreciate them because honestly I've worked, and I'm not trying to say this to discourage them or to dissuade them. I want to say keep on. Keep on. You haven't seen anything yet. I say you haven't seen anything yet. By the grace of God, a time will come that you will be shocked at what God will be doing in your lives. Just keep on. Keep on. A lot of people out of impatience just do things and they go away. Do things and they go away. Well, we were having praise and worship today, and I was listening to some of the equipment. And I remember somebody telling me about four years ago, saying, can't you change all this equipment, all this time? Hey, look at this. And the person was, maybe they thought they were doing the right thing, but it was cutting my spirit, man. It was really hitting hard. I was saying to this person, do you think if we have more money to do this, we will change this? You know? But the person was so sarcastic about it. They, at that time, they were a church member, but they had left now. And I believe God, they are doing well where they are. But you know, I looked at it. I said, God, you are faithful. When Brother Gospower was playing the drum, I said, I wish Brother Gospower knew the drums we started with. It's still downstairs. It's down, in fact, I just remember it's downstairs. Before you go today, go and look at it. That was our first drum in this church. <laughs> you will be shocked that you mean this church used that. That's what we used for what, five years? Is it up to 2018? Yeah, five solid years. We go at God's pace. You just go at God's pace. And I want you to understand that as things grow, things will start to bring influence your way. You have to pray for yourselves and pray for me. You have to keep praying for everybody because what happens is that as we grow, we start to have the temptations to start to see ourselves. It's a natural thing that God hates. May God not allow us to fall into that trap in Jesus' name. Another person, contrary, who underrated himself is a man called Gideon, Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, he said, Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this the might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Again, have I not sent you? 
So he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? <laughs> Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Everything about Gideon, nothing to write home about. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites. Who will be with him? Who will defeat the Midianites? Uh-uh, uh-uh. Read it well. Read it well. You, you do the work of the fight. You do the defeating, but I will be with you. That is to say, I will help you. You see, the mistake is that we may understand the fact that he wants us to defeat the Midianite, but if we don't understand the fact that he is with us, and it is not by our own power, nor by our own might, but by his spirit, then we underrate ourselves. May God deliver us from underrating ourselves. Let us see ourselves as God sees us. This is a very clear example of a man who saw himself as inadequate. But God said, I have made you adequate because I will be with you. And this is what I want you to know, friends. Whatever God calls you to do, whether it is having to do with ministry, having to do with life, or be an agent of change in the community, or even in your extended family, don't reject it. Don't start to say, how can this be? Just trust God. If you, I always say, if you ask, how can it be? It's a question, like Mary asked. Listen to the answer. Don't say, how can it be, and walk away. If God said, do something, and you say, how can it be? If you listen, he will tell you how the Holy Spirit will help you. He said to, to, to Gideon, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites. That is how it will be. He said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you and then you will conceive. That is how it will be. And Mary immediately said, let it be unto me according to your word. We know Gideon did not quickly agree. He was still looking for fleas and things to be convincing. But at the same time, he eventually agreed. So I want us to understand that we must not overrate ourselves and we must not underrate ourselves. We just need to keep seeing ourselves as God sees us. When you see yourself as God sees you, you submit to him and at the same time you are bold to deliver. You are humble before him, but you are bold to deliver. You go to him every day to receive strength and then you are bold to deliver. Since I've been preaching in this church maybe 200 and 300 times now, every day before I stand up from that seat, I say, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, help me. I've been preaching since the year, the, the month I met my wife, May 1992 was the official month I started preaching in campus fellowship and different things like that. I've been preaching like that steadily all over the places God has taken me. But God has shown me to understand that you cannot rely on yourself. Otherwise, you will make a fool of yourself. So every day, every time I say, Holy Spirit, help me. Because it is his duty to help, it is my duty to step up and do what he said. We will be closing shortly, but I want to quickly tell you three things that we must develop that will help us to develop godly perspective. Just three things, three things. Number one, we must be constantly meditating and putting to practice the word of God. I know you hear about the word of God almost every week, but the reality is that our life is centered on the word of God. This Christianity is not the word of man. This Christianity is not a word of philosophy. It is the word of God. And then James chapter 1 verse 22, the Bible says to, thank you. But be what? Let's read together. But be doers of the word. 
deceiving yourselves. And verse 23, let's go on. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. And verse 24, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Let's shout verse 25 together. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Do you want to be this one that is blessed? Do you want to be the one that is blessed? Hallelujah. Just be a person who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it. And be the person that is not a forgetful hearer. And be a person that is a doer of the work. The Bible says that one will be blessed in what he does. It is very important. If we want to maintain the godly perspective, we must grow in taking the word of God, meditating on it, and acting on it. Putting it to practice. It helps us to grow capacity. It helps us to develop strength. It helps us to manifest godliness. It helps us in every way to see what God is seeing. How many times have you found that when you take time to dig into scriptures about matters of life that are confusing you, and God leads you to the story of a person that has gone ahead of us, whoever, David, Elijah, Paul, whoever, and as you are reading it, or some other verses of scripture of encouragement, and as you are reading it, God speaks to you, or something you've meditated upon, and then a word of prophecy now comes, and God uses that word of prophecy to confirm the, the word that you have meditated on. I told you many years ago, I was in a meeting. It was late 1990. I was stood in a meeting and we were called out to be prayed for by a, a, a preacher. I was in Nigeria then, and uh, a preacher uh, came out. He, came, he was visiting from the United States. And he was praying for people, praying for people, praying for people. And when he got to me, he said to me, he stopped. Then he prayed in the spirit again, and then he stopped. He said, young man, hear me. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God the Father. You know, American accent. I never forgot. Out of every word that proceeds out of, the mouth, out of God the Father. I said, amen. Then I was looking. Why did this man stop for me? But since that day, I embraced the word. And since that day, everything about lack died in me. Everything, I don't worry about things. I don't know how to explain it. It's the word of God. It came. The Bible says the word of God came and I ate it and it became a rejoicing of my soul, isn't it? Jeremiah 15, 16. And I found that that is very true. When it comes into you, you start to see things like God sees. Am I saying that after all, we were talking about a project we're doing here. There's always things in my life that I'm waiting on God to do. But somehow, I am always at peace. Since that day, I found that the word of God, the Bible says it is a perfect law of liberty. And I am saying to you today, the more you meditate on the word of God, the more you will see. When Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, the Bible says he himself knew what he would do. He knew that God can, his father can multiply it. The disciples were calculating. People who see naturally are always limited. 
But when you can see spiritually, when you can see in the way God's word is helping you to see and you are demonstrating it, God will move you from testimony to testimony. I say he will move you from testimony to testimony in the name of Jesus. Number two, we need to purify our thoughts. We need to purify our thoughts. It is very easy to think negative thoughts. You don't need any stress to think negatively. You don't. Just close your eyes. You start to see bad, bad things. <laughs> but you, you, it, is, it is an intentional thing to think positive. Look at what Paul said. We know this from Philippians 4.8. He said, finally, my brethren, Philippians 4.8. He said, finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. He didn't bother to say, don't think about the other things. If you put negative to every word, you will see how easy it is. To think about something that is false, ah, it's very easy. Very, very easy. Free. <laughs> you don't need any stress. To think about false things, to think about things that are ignoble, to think about things that are unjust, to think about things that are impure, to think about things that are ugly and not lovely, to think about things that are of bad report. It's very easy to think those things. So Paul said, if you want to help yourself to have a walk with God, you must be thinking like this because God thinks this way. God thinks just. He thinks noble. He thinks pure. He thinks lovely. He thinks good report. God never sees a person and sees a write-off case. Only the devil is write-off with God. Look at uh, Jonah. Look at Paul. Look at Peter. You would expect that a man like Paul, we celebrate Paul's life today. A man like Paul, if he was living in our time, people would be very glad to hear that he died one day. Christians, that he was persecuting and killing their families, would be very glad that he died one day and he went to hell. That's, they said that's very good for him. We prayed him off. He was a demon. <laughs> the same Saul, God arrested him, became Paul, and the whole church is pinned to his life and his writings today. It's a mystery. Because God is always thinking good report. God is not looking at you today and seeing where you are as your final. He sees where he wants you to be because he knows his thoughts towards you are of good and not of evil. So you also must be thinking like him. Don't let anything stop you. Somebody said it is our thoughts that inform our actions. And our actions will always, our thoughts, sorry, inform our words. And our words will inform our actions. And our actions will eventually inform our habits. And our habits will eventually turn to our character. And you know, it is the character that you have in life that keeps you going. It is what helps you to break grounds. It is what helps you to be well-pleasing to people. If you have a good character, pleasing character, and an appreciable character, a dependable character, you open more doors for yourself. So it starts with your thoughts. It starts with how you see yourself in the context of the word of God. The Bible says we must keep pulling down the strongholds and putting, subjecting every thought that is contrary to the spirit and uh, to the obedience of Christ under subjection because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. You can write that down, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. And we have to keep addressing every bad thought. May God continue to help us to, to destroy every bad thought in Jesus' name. You need to learn how to think like God thinks. It's very important. And how does God think? It starts from step number one. Know the word of God. Know the word of God. When God says something, that is how he's thinking. What he says is how he's thinking. 
And then when you want to think contrary, you have to think in line with what he says. So you are now thinking the way he's thinking. So don't say, but pastor, I don't know how God is thinking. Ah, God, me, how can I know what God is thinking? No, he has already told you what he's thinking. If you read his word, you will know what he's thinking. Hallelujah. Number three, I told you three things. Number three, we must always be spiritual and not carnal. And that brings it all together. It is very easy to be carnal. It is very easy to go the way of the flesh. What do I mean by that? You see, the flesh will tell you certain things. Have you ever felt like, let me just put this Christianity aside just for five minutes and deal with this matter the way my head wants to deal with it? Have you ever felt like that? Many of us feel like that at times. Because, you know, the way the, the Spirit of God will want you to deal is not exactly, the flesh doesn't want that. The flesh feels that you are cheated if you deal like that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Let me read verse 16. Yeah. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Verse 17 says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Let's read verse 18 together. Everybody want to go. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Somebody will say, ah, what is this man writing here? How can I be looking at what is not seen? I can see what is seen. You can see what is seen. So everybody sees what is seen. So what does it mean by the things that are not seen? Think about it very well. When you read the word of God, you will see things that are not seen. You will see the invisible by the invisible God. The Bible says our God is immortal. He is invisible. He is the only wise God. His word demonstrates his invisibility. When you read his word, you will see things that are not seen. When he shows you that there is an opportunity of business in a place, and his word tells you that he gives you the treasures of the land, and his word begins to encourage you to say, I will speak the word, you will hear the word behind you saying, this is the way to go about this business. Go for it, go for it. You will be seeing things that are not seen. When you look at something that everybody is looking at ordinarily and you are living a spiritual life, you are fasted life, you are living a life that has a good fellowship with God, a total reverence for the things of God, a pure desire to see God manifest, you will see things that are not seen. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, he said, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. The things on the earth are very loud. The situations of the earth are very loud. The limitations of this world are very loud. The things that tell you that you can't get to certain positions, they are very loud. The things that show you in your workplace that there is no way you can move on beyond that place, they are very loud. The things that tell you in your study that you will struggle to finish this qualification, they are very loud. They are very real and they are very loud. The thing that says this child doesn't look like a child with a promising future because everything does not look positive, they are very loud. Those things are very loud. They are much louder than the things of the Spirit. And the Bible says, don't set your mind on those things that are on the earth. 
Set your mind on things above. Jesus said we should pray. The will of the Father be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is how you pull down the will of God into such situations. So when the child doesn't look as if he's walking, he doesn't look as if things are happening right, you say that, Lord, I and the sons and daughters that you have given to me, we are for signs and we are for wonders. You are setting your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And you are decreeing it concerning that child. He said the seed of the righteous shall be mighty in the land. And you call the boy's name or the girl's name and you say you shall be mighty in the land in the name of Jesus. You do those things that are spiritual. Don't look at the child and speak the situation. The Bible says two are better than one. I was counseling somebody many years ago. They were having problems in marriage and I said, you know what? You cannot convince me otherwise. The Bible says two are better than one. The person said it depends on who the other person is. I said, I rest my case. <laughs> I said, I rest my case. You can imagine that. He says, sir, it depends on who the other person is. I say, wow, that's, uh, that, that one hit me hard. <laughs> Man, he said, uh, the, the, the person was so convinced that that scripture will not work for them. The word of God. Two are better than one. Marriage is honorable. Everything I know about marriage, I said to the person. And they were just shooting it down, shooting it down. So you can choose to be earthly. You can choose to be carnal. But when you are like that, you arrest your own. It makes it difficult for you to be at rest the way God wants you to be at rest. Because you are seeing things only in the realm of the earthly and only in the realm of the physical. Friends, let us submit to God. He said, for you died, verse 3, and your life is hidden with Christ. Many believers don't understand this. Many believers think they are still alive. It's, are you born again? You say, I'm born again. But everything they are saying shows that the old man is what they are still living by. He said, for you died. That's what born again means. That's what born again means. You died, and then your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hallelujah. I close on Proverbs 14, 12, and Isaiah 46. Proverbs 14, 12, the Bible says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but his end is the way of death. My dear brothers and sisters, no matter what it looks like, God knows more than you. I say God knows more than you. God knows more than you. God knows not more than me. When this church was planted on August the 31st in the year 2013, it was a Saturday. We came, we beautified, you know, cleaned up the place, and everybody had left. And I said some prayer. I said, Lord, we receive with thanksgiving this facility, and um, I receive everybody that will be coming tonight for this dedication program. It was to be an evening program. And as I went to the gate to lock it, to keep it secure before we came back in the evening, he didn't say anything when I was praying inside here. As I was locking the gate, I heard his voice. He said, I have given you the place. I have given you the space. Now trust me for the pace. Since that day, it occurred to me that how this church will grow, the pace at which it will go is all in his hands. And that is why I'm at rest. About three weeks into the church, I forgot what God said. Just three weeks, under a month into the church. I said, this time, next month, we want to have 150 people here. Everybody said, hey, man, when I got home, God said, are you in charge now or am I in charge? <laughs> I said, Lord, I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Since that day, if you notice, you hardly ever hear me talk about we must have this number and that number. Why? Because he said I should trust him for the pace.
There is a way God works. Not every church will wait for 10 years to grow to what God wants them to be. Some will do it in a year. Some will wait 20. Some will wait 30. Whatever it is, stay with God. I say whatever it is, stay with God. I know some of these messages are not popular in our day and age because we all want it tomorrow. That is our generation. If it doesn't happen tomorrow, man, something, there's no power in that place. <laughs> the reality is that God's time is the best. And I know that the Bible says he, it, the way may seem right, the end is a way of death. God will keep protecting you from the way of death. In the name of Jesus. Isaiah 46 verse 9. He said, remember the former things of old. I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is none like me. Verse 10. Let's read it together. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. Rise up to your feet and lift up your two hands and celebrate God.